Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna suck! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 153 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Uh, the Bruins defeated the Philadelphia Flyers this afternoon at the Garden 6 to nothing. And so that, that makes the Bruins what? They're 34-5-4 and four in the season. They have 10 points clear of the second-place team with still a game in hand in, in the entire league. So um, we saw them play a very close game against the Maple Leafs on Saturday, two really good teams, obviously. Um, the Flyers, they've been playing well of late, but they don't have the talent that Boston has, and they kind of showed that uh, for the entire 60 minutes this afternoon. Yeah, for sure. Like the – like you said, Flyers, you know, were one of the hotter teams in the NHL. They had won seven of eight coming in and wasn't all against scrubs. They had two wins in a row over Washington. They shut out Buffalo, who is the number one offensive team in the NHL. Um, you know, one at LA, which actually they swept the same road trip that the Bruins just went on. They swept LA, Anaheim, and San Jose. Um but yeah, clearly, so you kind of, you see that and like, you kind of start to wonder like, oh, like, you know, could Philly make some noise? Is this, you know, more than just kind of getting hot for a few games? But uh, 
yeah, they certainly looked extremely overmatched today. And, you know, maybe it was an off game for them. I don't know. I haven't really watched enough for the fl- of the Flyers to be able to tell, you know, exactly what their talent level really is. But clearly could not compete with the Bruins. Um, you know, Bruins were, were on them pretty much from the jump. Uh, you know, Krejci helped set up an early goal on on just a great play by, by the whole line. Um, Krejci getting it over to Zaka and then, setting up Pasternak and floodgates kind of open from there. Another goal for that line later in the period. And Bruins just kept building, um, you know, flyers didn't have really at any point, a ton of great chances, you know, Swayman had to make a few good saves in net for the, for the Bruins, but uh, wasn't tested a whole heck of a ton. And uh, that was Canadian right there. No, that, that was, that was, a, that was a pause. So we, were, we were talking, we were talking before the podcast about like, I said, Scott's got a Canadian into, accent. Whether we sometimes like slip into Canadian, uh, cause we'll get to this later, but we were talking about Elliot Friedman's report about, uh, progress being made with, with David Pasternak extension talks. Bridget seems to think like I slip into Canadian accent sometimes. You just which I did. Don't. No, I, that was a pause. That was an uh. That a was heck an of a. a ton. No. Scott's walking around uh, Bill Ricca Memorial High School back in 2007. How's it going, eh? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Whoa, where did this kid come from? Sorry, I cut you off, but that was funny. <laughs> I was done anyways. Not okay. Not just with that point, but with the whole podcast. Okay. All right. <laughs> See you later, Scott. Um, we're two minutes in and we already lost Scott. But um, no, so that that game, I feel like I could have left like in after the first period and I would have known what was going to happen. Like the, the second and the third period were like a formality. It was like, all right, well, we know where this is heading. Um, and it just became like piling on at the end um, because it was kind of clear that there wasn't a comeback brewing. Um, but really the story like it, is not that, Philadelphia like rolled over it was just that um the Bruins and especially the Krejci line like they were able to understand it's like a 1 p.m game on a holiday but they had the energy because they had this milestone for Krejci the 1000th game and there was definitely like people there, there were definitely players on the team that were using that as their their energy and their um and the reason why it ended up being six, nothing, but uh, it was kind of funny when the first whistle came really quick and Krejci was still on the ice. Like the first shift wasn't like it, it was the end of the first shift. We got the whistle and they go to the, the Krejci 1000th game, like announcement. And he like, he goes to the bench and he just like straight faced as always just sitting there and I'm, poking scott and i'm like scott please like have him acknowledge something like he did like for a second he just looked like he just didn't want to acknowledge it at all which him and bergeron are kind of similar in that they don't like the attention so when the camera's turned on them they're kind of like uh you know that they don't want it but he eventually put his hand up and it was good and then when we talked to him after the game he said it you know it meant a lot to him and and that it was um something that he really appreciated but like in the moment I was like come on please just like put your hand up for like a second um and even Pasternak after in the locker room someone was like asked about the moment 
of the announcement, he goes, you couldn't tell he was so happy. Like <laughs> he was just making a joke because he was so straight faced the whole time. But um, that's kind of just how Krejci is. If, if people don't know, like he just kind of always, like he's someone who smiles very infrequently and keeps his emotions inside. So um, the fact that he didn't like get emotional for that or anything is not surprising. In the building, guys, did they uh, have a video tribute for him for, this, for the no. fans or no? Because it was kind of no. surprising how there was a lack of kind of ceremony. Was there a pregame ceremony with, for him? Or? No, no, so they, they announced that they're going to do the pregame ceremony on February 20th. Um, so I think, like, the reason they don't do a pregame ceremony today is that, you know, technically it's not his 1,000th game until he plays a shift. Um, so that's why you get, like, the quick little video after the first shift. Um, but I think this is how they've done it in the past is like, they'll set aside an actual time to do the ceremony and not do it during the game. Like, I think I remember them doing this with Bergeron as well. Um, and then even like earlier this season with Bergeron's thousandth point, like, I don't remember like really being a not, you know, like I'm sure it was acknowledged in real time, but it they already knew like there was going to be a plan for a pregame ceremony at a later date. So I think that's just their general approach to these kinds of milestones. Yeah. And, and um, I think Nesson has a Krejci at 1000 um, special coming up in like a week or two that they talked to Krejci's parents. And um, it's similar to the one that they did Bergeron at a thousand. Um, so that's, I think that I thought I heard January 24th is some, something like that. January 20 something, um, is Nesson's, uh, like special about him at this point in time. But that was really the story. You get a six, nothing win. And there of course are things you can talk about, about the game, but post game, like you can vouch for this to Scott. Every question was about crazy, pretty much like every, everything, the whole, the whole tone of everything was about Krejci and the kind of player that he is and the kind of leader that he is, even though he's more of a soft-spoken guy. Um, and what, and so we're able to talk to Pasternak and Zaka to like other players that are from the Czech Republic um, and that he has a relationship with from being line mates. And then obviously him and Pasternak's relationship goes back farther and is a deeper relationship like a brother um so we're able because all of those guys did so well today to get all three of them in the locker room talk to all of them and it really was just focused on Krejci um and Scott I don't know if there was anything in particular you wanted to share from those comments after the game that you heard that stuck out from for you well I think you could tell that it did mean a lot to Krejci um you know you mentioned like he doesn't he doesn't show a lot of emotion, but you could tell when he was answering questions after the game that there was emotion behind. Like he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna, you know, like break up and like start crying while he's talking to the media. But you could tell like he was his answers were like very deliberate and thoughtful. And you know, he talked about like how appreciative he was that the Bruins wanted him back. Um, you know, talked about how like he never had any interest in playing anywhere else. Uh, he said he was really proud that. Not just that he's reached a thousand games, but a thousand games all with one team. Like you said, that means a lot to him. Um, so you know, I think you're you're never gonna get like emotions on his sleeve, but you could tell 
just from the way he answered questions after the game that it all did mean a lot, both the accomplishment itself, but also, you know, the, the ovation from the fans, um, all the support from his teammates. Uh, so, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it did. And, and just talking to his teammates and talking to Jim Montgomery, like it obviously meant a lot to them. They all love David Krejci, um, understandably so. So, and we've heard that, you know, even in like the days, like the past week leading up to this, because everyone's been asked about it, knowing that it was coming. So, you know, uh, like you heard it from Bergeron and Marchand over the last few days, like they've both talked about it at, at length about what he's meant. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, it was nice and it'll be nice when they do that pregame ceremony as well. Um, you know, and really have like the celebration of it, but obviously a guy who's, who's meant a lot to the Bruins and it's clear that the Bruins and, and Boston fans mean a lot to him. And Brian, before you, I'm sorry, I, I want to let you weigh in here, but the funny thing is, and, and I want your opinion on this too, Brian. Um, when Mont- we talked to Montgomery first, as we normally do, and he said something and then he amended it, but he said, Krejci's the reason why we're the best team this year. And then he was like, well, there's a lot of reasons, but like, he first said that that's why we're so good. And what he meant was, and, and you can just read into it was just that the fact that Krejci answered the phone and said, yeah, I want to come back and do, I'll take whatever deal you give me. Like I'm going to come back for pennies. Like that's why they're so that's why they're competitive. Right. And then you add in all the extra stuff on the outside. So Montgomery said it, and then he was like, well, there's a lot of reasons, but what he means is just that the, that was a solid basis for them to know like what the second line was going to be. And that's how he knew what the depth was going to be. Um, so he means a lot to the team and Montgomery kind of talked about it a little bit. So there's a few things there and, and, and you raise a, a point that I'm going to in return throw to you guys, but just on, on that. Yeah. Like if you take away the coaching personnel, the, the actual player personnel, from game seven against Carolina to the opening night face-off this year. I mean, Krejci was really the only only difference besides A.J. Gray. Everybody else was there, right? So and I'm Zaka. Sure Zaka too, Zaka too. Sorry about that. But yeah, so like Zaka is a big one as well, and we'll get to him later. But yeah, I mean, Krejci just gives you that depth and allows everybody to fall into place. And, you know, the addition of Zaka also helps that guys like Felino and Frederick, you know, uh, in Felino's circumstance, kind of resurrecting his career and in Frederick's just kind of really starting to hit his stride. Um, that has enabled like Taylor Hall to go down to the third line, but you know, none of this is happening. Taylor Hall is on your third line. If David Krejci is on your team. Um, and I know there are different positions, but it's just, it's just a matter of the snowball effect. But um, you talk about Krejci's impact over his career, I mean, he's, I think, what, seventh in um, Bruins all-time games played? Is that, or seventh seven to a 1,000, but yeah, so seventh all-time, right? Um, and as far as career points and playoff points, I, playoff points for Bruins, he's got to be up there. He's, he's third in playoff points, second in playoff assists, ninth in total career points, yeah. sixth in total career assists. So he's, he's top 10 in everything if you include games played, really. I mean, so... If, when you look at it like that, I mean, 
is he a top 10 player in franchise history? The numbers would suggest so. But um, Bridget, you mentioned Montgomery, and I wanted to throw this to you guys as well before we touch on Zaka, because one other quote that Krejci said post-game, and you, you, one of you guys may have asked it for all I know, but he, he made a comment about uh, something about like how the the coaching change, is, he, he really likes the mindset of this team and that the coaching change has really helped that. And while that's not a direct shot at the way Bruce Cassidy ran things, and I'm sure Krejci has the utmost respect for Bruce Cassidy, it does kind of make you wonder, just like everything that people have talked about the last few years about Krejci and would he have come back if Bruce was still here? Um, would he have left if Bruce was fired a year before? I don't really know, but I, I, th- I found that comment to be pretty transparent uh, in, a, in a hockey world where transparency, unless you're A.J. Greer, is tough to come by. He was so much more transparent today. And that's when Scott says like he was after the game and it, when he talked to like he had a different personality about him. He was very transparent. There were questions that he was asked about the off season today that he had not answered really truth, like a hundred percent truthfully before um, that we hadn't necessarily like gotten the full extent of. So yeah, he was definitely speaking today, just like from the heart uh, more so than he usually would. Cause he's one of those guys that, kind of does keep things to himself and he will answer a question like, no, that's between me and my teammates. No, that's, you know, um, but today he did answer well. Yeah. And that, the quote about, you know, the coaching change has helped. That was like kind of in the same answer where he was talking about uh, Boston being his home um, and saying, you know, I'm very thankful and grateful that they called, that they gave me a call in the summer to come back. Uh, he's, you know, cause then he started talking about this year's team and said, I feel like this could be a special year and kind of went into the reasons for that and said, you know, to your point, I like the mentality of this team to stay in the moment, take it game by game. Practices have been good. Obviously the coaching change helped a lot. We're obviously feeling good. And, you know, obviously like it stood out right in the moment as soon as he said it. And I kind of, I like, I wonder, like I sort of read it as not so much a shot at Bruce Cassie as just a compliment to Jim Montgomery as like, you know, we have a new coach and it's worked really well type of comment. Like, I don't, maybe, you know, maybe I'm misreading, but like, I don't think he was really taking a shot at Bruce Cassidy. I think it was just like, Hey, this was obviously a big change that we made and it's worked really as well as it possibly could have. Um, but it is interesting. Like we know, you know, he made comments last year about, uh, you know, how he kind of wishes he'd gone to play with Pasternak more, which is interesting because Jim Montgomery after today's game was asked about, you know, like it's crazy vocal in terms of like who he wants to play with or, you know, or, or our other players. Like it was kind of more of a general team question. Um, and he said like, no, like crazy really hasn't come to him and said, you know, I want to play with so-and-so and not many guys have. Um, but at the same time, Krejci started online with Pasenak this year, so he probably never had to, you know, and like they've gone, even when there's been games where Pasenak isn't there, it never lasts long. It's never like, it's not like they're, they've gone, you know, two months without Pasenak being on Krejci's line. If anything, it's usually a couple games and then it goes back. So, you know, like last game, Pasenak was on the top line. Today he's back with Krejci and they, you know, light it up against Philly. Um, so he probably hasn't had to make any comments about that. 
but I did find it interesting that like, you know, this was kind of one of those things that we all debated last year as to like, oh, is that part of the reason why he left? Was he not happy with Cassidy? Never put Bostonok on his line. And then this year it's like Montgomery's like, no, he's never said anything about wanting to play with certain guys. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I read it as far as, you know, the effect that Cassidy had or the coaching change had on what Krejci does. I, I think, yeah, he's probably one of the guys where, you know, by the end there was some friction with Cassidy. Uh, you know, I think we've kind of heard that, but I, I don't think it really would have affected either of his decisions. Like, I think he wanted to go home and play in Czechia no matter what. Like, I think that he's had, he had said that years earlier that that was, you know, a dream he had and something he wanted to do at some point. And then as far as coming back, I think he probably would have, even if Cassidy were still here, because I, I think he really does want to make one last run at a Stanley Cup. And I think, um, you know, he still would have been playing with David Postonok at the World Championships and still would have had that experience. He still would have felt like he could play in the NHL. So, you know, we can only guess, but I, I think he would have been back no matter what. But certainly it, it seems like the coaching change, you know, probably helped the decision for sure. At the very least, and I don't, like you said, I don't think it was a jab at Cassidy either, especially when you're like, when we were in the room, it didn't feel like that at all. Um, it more so was just like, could it possibly be going better? Like, then how do we question like the fact that the coaching is the way that it is because it's going so well, like there's very, it's even though Cassidy's a good coach, there's a, a slimmer chance that it would be going this well, like just the way that it's worked out is why he has that feeling about like the coaching changes working because just look at the results basically um not to do really with like the relationship that they had or anything like that and to the um wanting to play with Pasternak thing coach said uh everybody wants to play with Pasternak we all, like we know everybody wants to play with Pasternak. like I feel like you don't have to say I want to play with Pasternak everybody knows like all right every single person on this team is gonna want to play with him and then and he also said there's a lot of guys on this team people want to play with that's why we're such a good team like people want to play with Bergeron People want to play with Marshawn. People want to play with Krejci. Like people, there's a lot of guys on the team that are easy to play with. So people want to. Yeah. It's this, that's what happens when you have a ton of depth and, and good team chemistry. It's uh, they have a, a lot of options. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Um, and you mentioned David Pasternak, and he increased his goal total on the year to 35, still two back of McDavid for the league lead in goals. What's crazy is that as good of a season as Pasternak has, he has 62 points in 40, 43 games, I think, or something like that. And uh, he's tied with Kucherov. I think he's one or two back from dry settle, but McDavid has like 20 more points in all of them or 25 more points in all of them. And it's just an absolutely insane. It's, ins- it's crazy. He's, he was on historic pace. The, the 56 game COVID season. Like I think it's pace for that year. Put him over, would, would have put him over 150 points had it been a full 82 game season. And now he is on pace to do it for a full 82 game season. Like he's on pace for over 150. He's I think flirting with like 160 pace. It's, it's insane. And and like no one's done that in almost 
30 years. Like I, I think it's Lemieux's 95, 96 season was the last time anyone topped 150 points. Like it's, oh, it's absurd. Crazy. I mean, he's got, he's got 83 points in 45 games. I mean, but um, anyway, so I wanted to bring up this player and throw it to Bridget uh, because Pavel Zaka signed a four-year extension, 4.75. Scott had talked about how he was um, a little bit snake-bitten despite being a very, very key contributor to the Bruins. He currently is eighth in the team in points, which is, you know, obviously good. But for reference, he has 40, uh, 28 points in 43 games. Charlie Coyle, for reference, has 23 points in 40, 43 games. So, um, and, and when you think of Charlie Coyle, you think of somebody who is a great contributor and, and plays well in all three zones, and Zaka has, you know, eclipsed him in points. And so um, today was a great game for him. So I want to get Bridget's thoughts on the extension because she didn't get a chance to discuss this last episode. Yeah, and I, I listened to you guys last episode, and I think there's a few things that are even more relevant after the Flyers game than – when the news came out, I, in, in my opinion, because of the way that he played against the Flyers and his goals that he had. Um, first of all, that one goal was an app. Like I want to call it a snipe, but at the same time, it was like, just, it was just a rocket. Like I, I was shocked. Like not many times am I sitting up on the ninth floor and I'm just like, Oh fuck. What just happened? Like, it was just so fast that I was just like, good thing I wasn't broadcasting this game. Cause I probably would have dropped like an F bomb in there. Um, that's just how the goal was. Like he's falling and shooting. And I, the only reason he fell is cause he put so much behind it. So it was just, it was an insane shot, a uh, really good shot. And something that coach said after the game was that's what we want him to do. Like we're going to tell him again, the same way we always tell him, He's got a great shot. He needs to shoot more. Um, you see the plus side. The contract is, you know, the extension needed to be done uh, because it shores up a guy that can be a center for you. Um, he doesn't have to be a center right now, but it's kind of like that long-term plan you see coming together more. And then you go, okay, well, you got this guy for four years. Uh, he can play center. He can be a second-line center. I can play wing. He's very versatile. So whether or not Bergeron and Krejci or one one or the other decide to hang it up after this season, you have at least one stand-in. Like you have one solution to a center problem. You're still probably looking for that second guy, but that's a lot less daunting than trying to find two. Like at the in the in the off season, um, and I feel like this has been the plan all along with Zaka. It was like a prove yourself season for him, but at the same time, it was always with the intention that um, he wanted to stay and they wanted him to stay. So the, the extension isn't surprising at all. Um, it seemed like they, from the beginning, knew that this is what they wanted to do. And it was, uh, it, it makes, this is one of Sweeney's smart moves, right? It actually makes him look pretty smart uh, because he goes out, he trades Eric Holla, who didn't have as much upside as Zaka, not as versatile as Zaka, um, and gets a guy back that is interested in staying long-term. And that's what kind of deals you have to do right now, especially for centers. You need to find centers that want to stick around. Um, and so that's the answer to one of the questions. Uh, and then you guys touched on it very briefly, but like finding that other center, can you find it at the trade deadline? If you can, like a legitimate top, two center like one or two center um 
then you almost answer the question for Pasternak if this is really what's keeping him from signing. Like, okay, here's our two centers, like in in the future. Um, so you don't have you can't lean back on that and and say um I, you don't see a rebuild, right? Like if you can find a center at the trade deadline, we're not talking about a team that's going to hit a rebuild when Bergeron and Krejci retire. We're talking about a team that's still going to be a, a bubble team. A play like a team that's going to make the playoffs. Um, it's not going to be like a long term rebuild situation. Like we were questioning, was it this offseason? I, I think we had like talked about what kind of a rebuild they might need, but you almost see that not that that doesn't seem like the trajectory anymore. Yeah, it, I mean, it's obviously like a dream scenario to get okay, like if Zaka is the number two center longer term, you know, to f- like, obviously the big name, like everyone knows is Bo Horvat. And it, because he is probably going to be on the market. There was another report today that uh, Jim Rutherford Canucks GM feels like they've made their best offer to Horvat. And not, obviously it hasn't been enough or he would have already been signed. So it seems increasingly clear that Bo, Bo Horvat is going to be traded. And the question is whether that's as a rental or to a team that immediately signs them to an extension. Um, And that's where, you know, the dream would be if you're the Bruins is if you could acquire someone like Bo Horvat and immediately sign to an extension, like you did, you know, whether that's literally immediately like with Hampus Lindholm last year or at the end of the season, like with Taylor Hall a couple of years ago after you traded for him. Um, But basically know that like, there's an extension that's going to be coming down the pipe as well. Um, You know, the biggest question obviously is, or two biggest questions is what does it take to get them, including who are you moving off the current roster to free up salary? um, And how are you going about that? And then how are you piecing it together for the future? Because you don't, you're not going to have a ton of cap space next year. You still have to sign like six forwards. Um, you know, can you really say it's going to cost nine to 10 million to sign Horvat? Can you fit that? Like, where is the money coming from? It's, it's absolutely a legitimate question, but, um, you know, to your point about like setting yourself up for the future, uh, someone like Horvat, if there is a way to like find the way to make the money work, it's worth it because those opportunities come along so infrequently and they're so tough to get those centers and you don't have any in your system that look like they're going to be number one centers anytime soon. Um, so you, you try to find a way if, if at all possible, but uh, as it relates to the Bruins right now, the question would be like, because obviously, you know, I don't think they need a Bo Horvat to win it all this year. Like I barring, you know, injury to one of their top forwards in the playoffs like you, you have a team that can win the Stanley cup. I think, you know, you just add depth to help kind of cover yourself and you're in really good shape. If you're adding Horvat, like I said, you're moving salary out somewhere. That means someone's coming off the current roster and it's easy to say like, Oh, well that can be Craig Smith. And it's like, okay, well now you're giving up extra assets to move him because unless he gets hot, he doesn't have any value, any standalone value really. So you're not for a rebuilding team, not like 
no not for them. maybe there's some other contender that might have interest in him for depth but all those other contenders have cap issues too so they're not going to want to take on his cap hit um so it's very challenging and you know if i were sitting here right now having to bet money on it i would bet that they're not going to acquire bo horvat um but it is absolutely the type of move that they should be exploring because it's going to help you now, but Horvath's a really good player who, you know, makes an already great team even better. And if you lock him up, he can be a number one, like he's a number one center right now. And, you know, while I think it's fair to be like a little wary of the guy who's having a career year in, you know, potentially his trade season or free agent season. Um, even if this ends up being like the best season of his career, his, other seasons have still been good. And if you surround him with really talented wingers, I think he can still be a number one center. Sorry, guys. I'm just looking at the Bruins um, cap cap situation right now. And um, to Scott's point, just like, so next year, after this season, you'll have um, 2750000 coming off the books um, if they don't find a way to re-sign um, Nosek and uh, Krejci. And then Craig Smith is another 3-1, and Nick Foligno is another 3-8. So I think they're going to have to decide to cut ties on, obviously, probably, you know, three of those guys. And I think I said Clifton. Did I say Clifton too? Clifton's a million too, so like he'll probably get paid somewhere else. I don't really know. But um, it's really tough to predict the future with Bo Horvath. I just know that. You know, if you if you were to wait another year uh, and hope Bergeron comes back next year, let's say let's say Krejci left after this year, and you're gonna, and you have Bergeron and Zaka as you wanted to next year. Well, now you're kind of like now you're playing the odds of what center could be out there a year from now um, to potentially replace Bergeron, and I think that right now they know that guy is out there, and that's going to be Bo Horvat. Now. Based off of Don Sweeney's comments in the Zaka extension press conference, I get the sense that like no prospect for them is safe um, because he made a comment about it's my job to put the best team on the ice this year. He knows that they have to go all in. Um, how they would acquire somebody like Corvette, you know, I think everybody knows the answer. There's a couple of key pieces that would be going the other way uh, in, in, the, in the means of a, a future draft pick, first first round pick probably in, you know, Lysel or and or Lori, one or the other. And then you have to get, get some cap, some uh, roster guys going the other way too for the cap flexibility. But um, I guess we'll see what happens. Scott, you said the Bruins don't need him to win a cup this year. You're right, but I think the Bruins definitely want to. They definitely want to add um, a significant piece. How they're going to do that, I don't know. Uh, I just think that they. I don't feel like the Bruins management want to leave anything to chance. They want to. They want to look at this Bruins roster going into the playoffs, and they want to be like. You'd have to pull off a 1980 miracle against the Soviets to beat this Bruins team. That's how <laughs> dominant of a roster they want to have is if, if they can, if they can do it. And obviously it's pretty damn dominant right now. If you can go out there and add a guy like Horvat or, you know, there's other guys we can talk about for later podcasts, but, and, and maybe you guys think they should out on the back end, like a, a, a big, a big body in the back end, um, which is valid too. But yeah, the, the other big center name, by the way, would, if he ends up being available, would be Dylan Larkin in Detroit, who also a pending free agent, hasn't yet agreed to an extension with the Red Wings. They, you know, the Red Wings were hanging around the playoff pitcher for a while. They've 
tailed off a little bit recently. So that's a team to kind of keep an eye on if, if they decide to sell and if they're still not close to an extension with Larkin, um, you know, he would be another one who could potentially be on the move. And he's, he's, I think I like Horvat a little bit more, but Dylan Larkin's also a really good player who I, I do think can be like a number one center. If, as long, if, as long as he's surrounded by elite wings, which he would be in Boston. That would surprise me too. Cause I just feel like yeah. Steve Eisman is doing a, I mean, look, maybe, maybe it's it's not not where they want to be at this point, but personnel wise, I feel like he's starting to do in Detroit with what he was doing down in Tampa before, and like they have some really young names that are very promising in Detroit. It would surprise me if Dylan Larkin, the captain, wasn't a part of that going forward, just because he is. I think he's only twenty six, right? So I mean, or maybe twenty seven, but uh, that would surprise me. As far as Bo Horvat goes, like, and I, and I, and I know people. We talked. We we texted about this. I know. I know people want to hang on to the Bruins' top prospects for dear life because they don't have many in the system. I get that, but like Pavel Zaka is twenty five, maybe twenty six years old. I think he's twenty five though, and you just locked him up for four more years. And a guy like Horvat or a guy like Larkin, Horvat's twenty seven, and Larkin I think is twenty six. So like, if you can get these guys in your system, it's like the Bruins would probably risk losing a, a wing prospect or a deep prospect, despite how promising they are. If they can shore up their, their center position for the next five years. And don't forget the Bruins, like Don Sweeney and Cam Neely, they have bosses to report to, right? Like the Jacobs, their own, the owners, they want the Bruins to stay competitive. And it's almost like they have no choice. And if they aren't competitive, they're going to lose their jobs. So I think like, as good of a prospect as Fabian Lysel is, I think Don Sweeney is going to be like, well, if I can lock up a 27 year old center for the next five years, like I'll take my chances that Lysel is not going to end up being an 80 point winger. And even if he is, he's a winger. So there's a lot to die to dissect for the Bruins going forward at the deadline, but uh, Zaka is a good start though. And don't you feel like they have like, and we would have talked more about the game if there was really much to talk about, but like we're at the point in the season where it's like, okay, Bruins are good. So we, we want to like, go on about some other like topics that interest us. So don't you feel like they almost have the luxury at this deadline to worry about the future rather than like worry about like, okay, we really need to find someone that's going to put us like over the edge. Cause they're, they're already good enough. And like, you want to add a guy that can help this year. And, but like, you can also, you also have the luxury of being like, we feel comfortable moving these prospects because we feel like if we add this X person, our roster will be complete next season, the season after that, the season after that. So you almost have the luxury of being able to look into the future a little bit more than if you were like a team that was, you know, knew you had a good playoff team, but didn't have quite the depth that the Bruins have. Um, So I, I just feel like this season has given Don Sweeney a little bit more leeway to sign a guy that obviously if you get a guy like Bo Horvat or, or, you know, just a center, that's, you know, a one or two caliber guy, that's obviously going to help you in the meantime, but it allows you to convince maybe ownership like, Hey, this is a big move. This is a huge splash move, but this is going to be our long-term and our short-term like solution to we're going to win the cup and we're going to, be competitive for the next another five years or so. Yeah. And like, this has clearly been Sweeney's MO recently is he as much as possible has tried to stay away from, you know, the, 
true rentals where you're only getting a guy for half a season. He's traded for guys who were going to be pending UFAs, but then he signs them, you know, Taylor Hall, Hampus Lindholm. Pavel Zaka wasn't just going to be for one year, even though that's initially what they agreed to was a one-year deal. Like the intention clearly was always to sign him for longer. Um, You know, even like it didn't work out, but Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha were guys who had another year on their deals when the Bruins traded for him. So he has, you know, now if the best move to help him win a cup this year ends up being a rental, whether it's because, you know, a Horvat or a lock-in is either unavailable or the cost is just way too high or whatever. Like, yeah, I think he would be open to a rental, but maybe not for like paying a premium price. Um, so we know that he's going to be targeting first and foremost guys who, um, can help this year and also potentially be around longer, whether that's someone with term on his contract already, or someone that they already know, or at least have a good idea that they want to resign. So, um, yeah, we, we know those are the kind of deals that Sweeney's going to be going to be looking for. And it's almost it, it, when you brought up Dylan Larkin too, like it's weird for me to imagine him on this team, like in a month ago or however many weeks ago it was that we were talking about Jonathan Taves being available and like trying to like figure out like where the fit would be and like what it would be like to have that person on the Bruins, because we're so used to seeing some of these guys with their teams for so long. Um, and like, being the captain of a different team and being the face of another team. So when you said the Dylan Larkin thing, I'm sitting here like, that's kind of weird for me to think about, but I'll have to like mull it over a, a little bit. Um, well, and, and yeah, that's another those thing are, those are big Larkin moves. And, with both Larkin and Horvat is they're the captains of their current team. So, yeah. you know, I'm not saying they're going to come here and like be future Bruins captains, but they can be part of your next leadership core, you know, when eventually uh Bergeron and Krejci have moved on and it's really only Brad Marchand left of that old guard and you need you know that next group of leaders who are kind of in the prime of their careers like both of those guys obviously on their current teams have shown some leadership capabilities that their teammates recognize so that you know would be another kind of you know another thing in the plus column for them is that uh presumably they're obviously pretty good teammates that you think would, would fit into a culture like this. Vancouver's in trouble over in, uh, over in British Columbia there. They, it's there is, they are in unison at all. It's uh, the players, the the coaches, the GM, the owner, they're all on different pages of the, of a, of a failing book, really. Um, you look at Bo Horvat, he has 414 points in 615 uh, regular season NHL games. I think, I think his um, that's obviously really good, but I think his offensive ceiling would be higher in a in a, in a well structured system like Boston, where defense leads to offense. Uh, he's also a great character guy. Um, Bruins fans may remember Noel Achari dropped the gloves with Horvat maybe f- maybe five six years ago at this point, and Achari can handle himself, but Bo Horvat kind of gave it to him in that one. Um, but I think I just think he's in a toxic situation. I think all those players are. Um, you know, yeah, Brock- we'll think about Taylor Hall before Taylor Hall came over. That's another player I'd never tried to like imagine the Bruins like fitting into their lineup. And then they, because of the no move clause, like they kind of get him for a really good price. And he he fits in and he was, 
not have, he was in a toxic situation in Buffalo. So you're, we're looking at that kind of that that's who you're targeting again. It's like, and, and I, I just tried to like um, search if Horvat has a no move the way that Taylor Hall did, um, which would give him more of a choice to where he ends up. I could not find the answer. So um, we will have to research that a little bit more, but um, obviously that changes what the price is. Um, if someone has a no move or, um, you know, has a say where, where they end up because then they can choose. Hor- like, Horvat doesn't. Doesn't. Okay. Horvat does not. He has no sort of no move- movement clause at all. Okay. So then Dil- that Larkin does. I th- yeah. So if, if there's like the list narrows for the players who do have a no move because they're probably looking for a longer term. So like a team that wants to extend them um, rather than the ones who don't really get the choice. So there's going to be a, probably a higher price for a Bo Horvat because more teams can offer. You know, it's, you bring up a good point too. And I remember last year, the three of us were talking going into the trade deadline about, you know, certain guys we hoped the Bruins would target, but um, we were like, well, that guy's reported saying he only wants to go to Colorado or Florida. I think at the time it was Claude Giroux, right? And that's because those two teams were clearly the, you know, the regular season favorites and Colorado ended up winning. Um, But that's one thing too the Bruins have going for them is if you're somebody who, you know, you're on the trading block at the deadline, you're part of a seller, right? Your team's a seller. This year, everybody's looking at Boston, right? So if somebody wants to leave and go win a cup, the Bruins are that team this year, which even in years they've been really competitive. They've never been that team for the most part where somebody's like, oh yeah, I clearly want to go to the Bruins at the deadline if I have the option, right? Um, so that's something they have going for them as well. And and, and like, you know, Buffalo did have their issues um, with the toxic environment, but like Vancouver is a different animal. I mean, you have, you have JT Miller, like, you know, slamming his stick every two seconds, um, uh, was it Quinn Hughes? Quinn Hughes is literally crying. And JT line. Miller was a guy we were talking about last trade deadline. I know. Maybe the Bruins made Why did he sign an extension there? Like, this is baffling. I don't know. Like, he, he was clearly money. frustrated there before and then, like, for some reason agreed to stay. I don't know if anybody was going to pay him the money that Vancouver gave him. I think he wanted the paycheck, no? Right? Well, I guess money can't buy happiness because he, <laughs> he, he looks like one very miserable player this year. Money can't buy happiness. No. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll I have see to how, buy some new sticks, though. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> so we'll we'll see how that we'll see how that all plays out, and we'll, we'll have plenty of time to discuss. Um, you know, the trade deadline and different options for different teams. I know, I know, up in Toronto, they they were already throwing the name around because they were they were debriefing the loss of the Bruins, and they were pretty much talking about how you know, they don't have anybody to, uh, to match up against McAvoy and, and, and whatnot. And uh, they, they were throwing around Jacob Chikrin's name and, you know, teams going to try to get better. Um, so yes, the Bruins don't have to add because they are really good, but it also depends on whatever it is, is doing around you and whatnot. And, uh, but yeah, Bridget, you made a good point too. It's like, on the one hand, the Bruins don't need to add, right. Based off their, their success so far. So maybe they could be like, well, let's, let's, let's try to, protect some future assets and let's not give away the first round draft pick. Cause guess what? We don't need it. People are trying to add the deadline to even come close to us. Um, but I think if they could try to add somebody and then with the intention of signing them long-term, especially up the middle, then it's, it's, it's killing two birds with one stone. Obviously it's helping you get deeper this year and for the future. So 
they have options. We'll see how 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 they end up uh, playing their hand. Um, and that's not till what March? What's uh, the deadline? Fourth. Early March 4th. This year. Yeah, early March. So we're still we're early on it, but like this is the time of year where you start hearing rumors. Um, you know, you start hearing who's available, then you start hearing what teams are making offers, and so this is kind of like where teams already know their sellers at this point, right? And teams know their buyers, so that's why you start hearing like the rumors and, and different things at this point in the season. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So we're 45 in, Scott and Bridget. Was there anything else from the game? I know, I know Bridget mentioned we haven't really discussed the game in great detail. Oh, here's, 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 a, here's a fun uh, fun topic from the game I, we, we haven't brought up yet. I know Scott's a big fan of this one, so maybe I can throw it to him. But uh, did, you, did you guys happen to catch the uh, Uncle Nick's hot mic moment? Yes. <laughs> and he came in the locker room after so and good. started laughing and said, did you hear my hot mic? And like he knew, and then he, his kids were with him, and he said, "Guys, you're not allowed to listen to this," because <laughs> he was. There, all the kids were in the locker room again today, but uh, and Marshawn was trying yeah. to get rid of his kids. He's like, "Anybody want them?" Uh, <laughs> but Nick uh, Felino was like, "Yeah, no, no, they, they can't hear that." But yeah, so he came and originally, I think he thought the ref was saying he was going for roughing, which in in reality he was going for the cross check, and the guy was saying roughing. Uh, that was the other penalty that was being given. So he skates by and hears roughing and he's like, oh, you're saying I should have fucking punched him in the face or whatever it was. <laughs> um, because basically like I should have got my money's worth, uh, because I didn't actually rough him. Right. Uh, that's, how, that's how I read it. Like it, it, yeah. looked, it looked like connect me just randomly punched Felino got a freebie and then Felino didn't even really hit him. And then, and then he gets, how, how does that, how does that cancel out? It's like one guy got hit in the yeah. face and I just addressed him. Yeah, it was it was baffling because like Felino Felino dropped his gloves like he wants to like really fight, and so I looked it up and Konechny has fought more than I thought. Like I've kind of always thought of him as more of a like a Marshand esque pass pest. Like yeah. you know like he'll definitely he'll get physical he'll get under guys' skin, but I didn't really think of him as like a like a fighter. But he's had quite a few fights in his career. But uh, he he wanted no part of a fight with Felino no. though. That's I think a little out of his weight class. So uh, he kind of quickly backed off and well, then yeah, he I think that's what a Felino... glove. Like there were gloves. Like, he, he didn't have both of his gloves. Yeah. On. I think he kind of did drop a glove, but, um, but yeah, so I, I that's also what I thought is like Felino was saying, you know, like I tried to do this right. And now we still end up with matching penalties type thing. You know, like yeah. I, I should have just socked him back, I guess. Like, <laughs> but that's the problem when the ref, 
turns his mic on for the like 30 not even like the 15 seconds that he needs to talk over the speaker to yeah. say the penalty and you run by him and you're swearing <laughs> it goes over the mic so yeah he maybe he learned something uh from that but it was also funny and, and he definitely kind of thought it was funny too because yeah. he we were not like we have players made available to us and he wasn't one of them but he started talking to us because he thought it was funny basically like some of them will just walk in and say something to the media because they're like did you hear that like did you see that you know um one other one other topic i wanted to throw you guys way while uh while it just went into my mind from the game was jake debrusque was in the in the broadcast booth with jack and oh, brick yeah. and, and discussed uh where he's at with his injury i don't know if one of you guys have what he said or if you get basically yeah okay do you need time to so, pull up or no, I have it. Um, so he, it was kind of interesting because we did get a little bit more. I was, I'm a fan of like when they let a player sit in for like a chunk of a period because I just like hearing how they would describe their own team and, and different things like that. So I liked him being in there and he see like he was comfortable. I almost feel like he's going to be a broadcaster at some point. Um, but he well, did bring, it would run in the family. It would run in the family. And no, he definitely was kind of a natural at it and like kind of has that way about him that he could oh, joke and I'll like play off stuff. In, he walks in, he's like, What's up, boys? Yeah, he yeah, said that a say, bunch of times. He, he might have to cut down on the boys mentioned because <laughs> he was averaging about one every twelve seconds. He was, but that was just like his that was how he's friendly like that's part of his friendliness um but either way so he gives a little bit more insight into where his progress is with the injury um because they asked him like oh you know how is he? he's like i just been chilling like basically he hasn't been doing anything so he said i've been chilling for a week i was finally able to drive recently which you know it's bad when you can't drive like i don't know if you guys have ever had an injury well scott you broke your leg but like you know it has to be really bad in order for you to not drive safely so he's driving again so that's good um and they said uh they asked him did you know when when you got injured or did you kind of like play through it and figure it out after and he said i knew my upper body was injured first shift and then he said that the the leg injury happened five seconds before i scored and the adrenaline uh, it, like it came at good timing because he, then the adrenaline hit and then I just kind of like finished out the game. Um, so he is a little bit, I don't know if you guys think he's behind what you thought he was, but the fact that he's just driving to me means like that's not very far along in the progress of recovery. No, I didn't, I didn't think anything like that. I mean, he's basically what, like a, almost two weeks into um he's basically like a week and a half into what was initially described as a, about a four-week recovery um so I, I always felt like it was going to turn into five weeks anyways because that fourth week is right before the all-star game so if you just hold him out through the all-star break you you build in an extra week so i feel like he's probably still on that timeline i didn't get the sense that anything anything was off or whatever um, but yeah, so got, got that. That was good. Um, you know, it's, they, they've been playing pretty well without him. Like that, I think that that Seattle game, you wondered, you know, okay, do, are they going to miss him against better opponents? But the Toronto game really helped kind of 
quell that. You know, they they put up goals. They scored five at e- or four at even strength uh, without them. And then you get a game like today where, you know, the second line just lights it up. Um, you know, I, I thought the, oddly, like the first line, I was actually kind of quiet. And I still kind of wonder, you know, how that's going to hold up with like Craig Smith playing in in a bigger role like that. He hasn't. He hasn't really impressed me too much when he's moved up there, to be honest. So I wonder, you know, will Montgomery kind of keep trying that or do you try something else at some point? Really the only other thing he's tried there is Pasternak and then that kind of, you know, shifts around the rest of the line. So still, you know, I, they obviously do miss DeBrusque, but so far I would say not as much as you might have initially feared, which again just speaks to the depth of this team that we saw earlier in the season where they can overcome injuries and they just have so much of it that they're still going to beat the teams that they should be beating. And they're still going to be competitive against even the better teams in the league. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting guys is like the one injury you kind of noticed the most uh, or his absence the most statistically was, was when Derek Forbert was out and, and the penalty kill mm-hmm. was struggling without him for those 11, was it 11 games or so. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause like you just, you wouldn't, Nothing against Forbert, but like you, you're talking about a team that was without McAvoy and Martian to start the year, and Grizzlick, and you know, Krejci went down for a little bit, and Zaka stepped right in, and uh, Debrusk is the latest example. And yeah, I mean, Craig Smith, it's like, you know, it, it's it's a difficult player to to, I guess, discuss because you don't want to criticize him because you you can tell how hard he's working, right? And it's like when when the, when, when the work ethic is there, that's like the biggest thing with me. I don't like to you know crap on people when they're trying, but like. You know, I think he's just overthinking it a little bit. Like there was a play today where he had the he had the puck in transition at the right circle, and you know, just tried to thread it through like four bodies, and then you know, it just it it just wasn't a smart play. He's f- trying to force plays, and um, but I still don't. As long as they're winning and they have this cushion, and like you might as well, there's nothing. You might as well allow the guy to try to get out of it with those two players still. Like it's not harming them clearly. Obviously, like Martian and Bergeron aren't clicking five on five like they usually do, but I mean, it's it's the dog days of the season, and I think it's more important to try to get Craig Smith going than it is. Uh, keep no, it. did you just say dog days? Because I was making fun of uh, something Jack said at, at the game today, because I still have no idea what he was talking about. But one of the things I didn't get to comment on was in the, the Toronto broadcast, the very open of the broadcast. Jack starts it out like dogs get a bad rap, and I'm like, no, they don't. Everybody likes dogs. And then he's like trying to like some sort of dog days of summer comes from like some ancient thing that he's explaining. And I'm just sitting there like he's got to land this plane at some point and it never landed. And I was just sitting there like, what is going on with this dog metaphor? And I knew like I was like, I they're going to like, I don't know if they talked about it without me, but it was a whole metaphor that I was just like. This he never landed the plane. I mean, Jack, we all we know this. Jack loves to circle the runways, right? He he he, he, <laughs> he, he milks it. He milks it. Okay, we know this. I didn't catch the dog one though. Uh, it was Jack. the very top of the broadcast, and I he yeah. talked for about five minutes before Brick said a word because he was trying to go over this thing, and I wasn't. I don't think anyone was with him by the end of it. I was like, okay, okay, all right, you lost me. Okay, <laughs> you lost me. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting still. I'll wait to see if you can land this one. But I, I think it landed in the 
in the bay out there somewhere <laughs> like it didn't find the runway uh do you guys you know what it makes me think of did did he, you guys see like during the MLB playoffs some of the Bob Costas Twitter memes no so Bob Co- for whatever like obviously I know you know Bob Costas has called everything throughout his career but he gets to call MLB playoffs and he really doesn't do like play by play for baseball or really any other sport at this point. And he, so he has this habit of just like going off on these long tangents that are like, just try to get way too and like try to like be poetic about baseball and stuff. So people started doing Twitter memes of like Bob Costas just like droning on about these topics. And then like, and then it'll be like whatever the, color commentator's name was and it'll be like ball two outside and i feel like like that could be jack and brick where it's like jack jack will just get going on something and like then you could just you could just see brick being like crazy wins the draw yeah like, <laughs> my, my, still a game going on my yeah. favorite I've, I've told you guys this before but my my uh my favorite jack and brick moment was back in 0708 when i, I like i've said I've, I've said this in the podcast but they're at the commercial break and they don't know that that they're uh, that they're back, and um, oh no, that's yeah. never good. Those yeah. are my nightmares. Brick's talk. Brick's talking about his daughter going to, on a college visit, on a campus visit, and uh, he was like speaking in third person, like somebody talking about Brick, like like to his daughter. They're like, "Did your father play, ever play professional hockey?" And then Brick is like answering as his daughter, like it, he said, "F and right, I did," or whatever like that. But it was. Uh, and then Jack starts snickering. They both start laughing like a couple schoolgirls. It was, it was gold. But uh, that was a while ago. Now they've been together for quite some time. The be- besides besides Martian and Bergeron, the best duo in Boston, right? On the tenure duo. No, no, I'm sorry, uh, I couldn't agree with that one. But uh, no, those hot mic situations are my worst nightmare because I'm pretty like on a broadcast last week. There was one point in time where they went to br- like we went to break on Essen, and like. I had thrown it to break with, with a few seconds and I thought I was safe, but I said right after like, Oh, my hands are so cold. And I'm like wondering if everyone that was listening heard me say that. Cause she, then she said clear after. And right. I was like, every, I'm going to like get some texts right now. Like you cold this, like are your hands cold. Like for a second, I was like, I think that might've come in before she hit the break. <laughs> so at least it wasn't a swear, but at certain times I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, did that just go over? <laughs> that would have been the most like teddy bear, innocent, hot mic moment in the history of television. It was like my hands oh are my cold. God, my hands <laughs> it could be a lot worse than that. It could, but so yeah, I mean, I try not to swear when I have the headset on at all, just because I don't want that to happen. But like every once in a while, you're like, oh, that might not have been good. Yeah, we have some hot mic moments on here too, but we have the luxury of uh, of editing, so. Mm. That's yeah. true. You guys don't even hear half of it. Nothing too bad makes it makes it over the airwaves, but uh, <laughs> Bridget's dog like, Melvin. You should just you should hear him. He just oh, he's uh, it's, it's very like profane. A <laughs> like a um. Okay, we're at the hour mark. Was there anything you guys wanted to touch on before we uh, end? Well, so Boston, we touched on this Boston a little Rock bit. Has on... painted nails. <laughs> well, I was going to bring up the other Pasternak news, but yes, he does have painted nails. Yeah, what was the other, um, yeah, the other news, Scott? So we touched on this a little bit uh, after the Leafs game, but Elliot Freeman on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday uh, reported 
Bridget, this isn't me slipping into a Canadian accent. This is me trying to do one. Mm-hmm, that there has been mm-hmm. progress uh, between the Bruins and Pasternak. Uh, he said progress like that like four times in 30 seconds. Um, and then Steve Conroy of the Boston Herald on Sunday confirmed that via pa- Pasternak's agent, J.P. Barry, who uh, t- texted Conroy, we have, we have made progress from a month ago, it is fair to say. So that's a different tone than even two weeks ago when Barry told Steve Conroy that he couldn't say whether there had been progress or not. And that was in the wake of a rich Keith's report that a deal is being finalized. So yeah, obviously progress has been made now. Like it's getting reported by Friedman. JP Barry is confirming it on the record. So, uh, you know, I think that's obviously a pretty encouraging sign if, you're a Bruins fan, still no done deal. So until it is, you know, everyone's still going to be waiting. But, um, you know, usually agents don't acknowledge stuff like that unless, like when he says progress, like he means real progress, not like, oh, we were 2 million apart and now we're 1.8 million apart. Like, no, like that's not what they're classifying as progress. So I think like that, that is actually like a fairly meaningful development. And yeah. it it goes to like we're getting like incremental like Keith reports it, and we had heard other stuff around it, but like it just kind of consistent, which is nice that we're hearing it from first of all his agent. That's the biggest thing, um, but also just like other reporters able to kind of like talk to their sources and and um, confirm that confirm what each other is hearing basically that it's it's coming closer um which is nice and like the funny thing is we're in the locker room after the game talking to pasta and most of it's about Krejci but like he's line meets with Pavel Zaka and you're sitting there thinking like oh I want to ask him about Pavel's contract like you know like did what was the conversation like with him after he got extended and then it's almost like well but I feel like I can't ask him that because he's gonna think it's about his contract like it was there's always just a little bit of that tension like especially with Zaka signing it's like okay this is the extension but we're waiting for this one like and and they're both from the same country and they're both like I there was definitely a thought in my mind today when we were talking to Pasternak, like the prominence of it um, after the, after the Zaka extension, like you can feel it. I'll tell you what, I feel like Rich Keefe is looking at JP Barry right now and saying, buddy, can you throw me a bone? Because at, like a week ago, JP Barry's like, nah, that, that reports malarkey. <laughs> he texted on her. He's like, rubbish. Yeah. yeah rubbish. 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 But yeah, I mean, obviously the, the agent's not going to lose leverage or tip his hand, right? Um, so the fact that he is reaching out to, to you know, media personalities in Boston or at least those in his role decks. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, is- um, I'm producing Rich's show tomorrow. I'll pick his brain. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but- I, I was I was talking to him like a week or so ago and he, he's still standing by it. He, like he said on, on his show that, Standing by it, and when I when I last talked to him, he was saying like, still think it's gonna happen. He still trusts his source. So we said that tonight too. Tonight uh, on his show, he before he signed off, he said he had some Pasternak stuff to get to tomorrow. So um, oh, I'll be there. <laughs> real, real, real quick, real quick though, um, how jaded does Don Sweeney look in these press conferences? The because 
because aside from the Mitch Miller thing, which obviously was a huge story and a huge blunder, Don has actually done a he's had a really strong couple of calendar years to the Bruins. Like even like like even like some of these these uh draft um picks from this past June, like they seem to be having like decent junior seasons and whatnot and some highlight real goals. But beyond that, the NHL roster moves he's made um have either been vindicated in the, this season or have just been like really strong moves. And like when I say vindicated, I mean like a, like a Felino or somebody like that. But He's had a really strong um, 24 months, call it, if you take away the Mitchell Miller thing. But that Mitchell Miller thing just beat the shit out of him because, like, people were coming at him left, right, and center. He just seems so jaded in these press conferences. Like, there's, he's not smiling. He's he's short, kind of yeah. angered and whatnot. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, in, it was especially interesting because Saturday night was – Actually, his first press conference since the Mitch Miller one, since yeah, it, that it's since that Friday when he was asked about the signing, you know, then you had Cam Neely on Monday after they cut ties, and no one since because then there was an investigation, and um, you know, front office went radio silent, didn't do press conferences, didn't do interviews, radio appearances, anything. So, uh, you know, now obviously Saturday, I'll just speak for myself because it's like. Yeah, I think at some point, like, you know, we would have liked to have been able to ask more about the Miller investigation, all that. Like, for me, Saturday night wasn't the time to do that when he's sitting there next to Pavel Zaka. Like, more than anything, like, I just wouldn't want to put Pavel Zaka through that at that time. And also, like, it was, like, 11 at night, and, you know, we all have stories to write. You're a capital J journalist. Yeah, but that – like, it wasn't – Again, just speak for myself. Like it wasn't the time or place to ask him about Mitchell Miller shit. <laughs> I'm, like, just me- that, I'm just messing with yeah. you, but we always say Scott's gonna ask the tough questions, right? Someone's gonna yeah. do it. <laughs> but to your point, Brian, like I did kind of get that sense of like this is someone who's been like I don't know if humbled's the right word or like shamed by this whole thing, who you know, yeah, could be sitting up there really proud of the work he's done in trades and free agency and you know, could puff his chest out a little except for that. And like, I felt like that's what we saw. We saw someone who, you know, obviously wanted to say a lot of nice things about Pavel Zaka and and did that. um, And wanted to talk about how successful this team is, but who came across as like a little cheapish and a little bit of like, you know, I know like what you all would really like to ask me about, but uh, you know, like I'm here to talk about Pavel Zaka type thing. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he looked like a guy who was sitting in a room with a bunch of people that he knew were, you know, slandering him and calling for his job or this or that or the other thing. And um, you could just see it all over his face. It was very strange, uh, again, because you were celebrating a, a really, really big win um, and you're in the middle of a historic season and you just signed somebody to you, to his right that's going to be a part of their team for the next four years. So I just found it kind of – it was notable. And, and look, like – the the situation is on him and Cam and the Bruins organization, but like, you know, you have to wear it when you when you make mistakes. But I, I obviously, if I were him and and I I was in his shoes, I I wouldn't be probably grinning ear to ear to see everybody as well. But it's it's again, it's that's that's the bed that he made for himself and he has to lie in it. But he has done a great job. Other than that, he really has. Uh, and this this NHL roster is really really deep and. You know, he's, he keeps making comments how 
like we're gonna we're gonna plan for the future when we get there. And I think I think he, he their their sole purpose is to win a cup this year as it should be. But I don't think that I believe them when they say that not looking too far ahead. And I also believe them because again, outside of that Miller signing, when they say they're gonna do something or address something, they've been pretty much accurate in what they say. So I they'll figure something out when 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 the moment's right. It's um, but anyway, I just wanted to bring it up because I noticed that he was a little gloom. Um, yeah. You know? No, and I agree with you completely. Like, he's extended the right people. He's kept the right people. He's moved guys for better guys. Uh, he could be taking a victory lap, but he's not going to get the chance to. And I, I feel like it's going to be a blemish for a while. <laughs> um, just in – maybe for him it'd be great to just sit aside a time and talk about it. Like then people aren't, it's not the elephant in the room. You're like, you gotta just need an apology and then you can move on. Maybe for him, that's what he needs. But like, as of right now, no, it's still there. Like it still hangs over him. But like there was a time last season where extending Jake DeBrusque instead of trading him at the deadline seemed kind of like, okay, that's weird. And now it looks like a great idea. Um, and same with a bunch of other things like you already listed. So maybe it's just like clear the clear the air, give an apology. Has to come like it has to be heartfelt or it has to be at least believable. Um, and then hope that people can get back to focusing on the other stuff you did that actually is helping the team. Yeah, I don't know if he wants to create any more headlines uh, about himself what during this this current season. I think he's probably done enough damage in his own mind to distract. Hey, people. all-star break. There's time. Oh, that's – yeah, there you go. All-star break will be a good time. And actually, that's a smart – you should – I think – you are you in PR, Berkey? You should be. Everyone's looking. I'm going to make a switch here soon at some point. I think they pay better. Um. Well, look, I, I'm looking at Scott. Bridget's going to be in charge of – uh, of RPR, uh, if we ever get, yeah, caught I'm not giving you moment. guys, I'm not giving you guys any interviews, by the way. Nope. No, uh -huh. no player interviews. I, uh, I might revoke your credentials. <laughs> oh, by the way. And, and, and at this point, I know listeners are probably like, you know, six story, Brian, but I, you guys are big popcorn people. I just wanted to let you guys know that, um, the other night I stunk up my apartment because uh, I burnt some popcorn. So, um, oh, no. It was oh, only, you shouldn't was have only, said that. It was only in for a minute and 10 seconds at the time, but I guess the wattage was really high and whatever. So I thought you, I guess say you accidentally had like a bobby pin in the microwave and that shit just like lit on fire. <laughs> no, I just, I, just, I just couldn't do what a 10-year-old can do. I just couldn't pop some popcorn. <laughs> it's all good in the hood. But I'm looking at Scott's face, and, and, and I know what he's thinking. He's thinking – Brian, we got to Now I'm hungry and I want some popcorn. Well, that, but also he wants popcorn for the second half of the Buccaneers Cowboys game. I know what he's thinking. I can see it all over his face. So I'm all set. If you guys are good, we can wrap this up. I'm good. All good. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you uh, after the Islanders and Rangers games. Mm -hmm.